Welcome to the Seriously Funny Music Podcast, the show where we talk about funny music and explore why it can often go underappreciated. In each episode, we'll focus on one artist and one academic concept to illustrate this point. This episode is about the band Tenacious D and Authenticity. Tenacious D is a comedy rock band that formed in Los Angeles in 1994, comprised of the two musician actors, Jack Black and Kyle Gass. Their stage shows often feature dramatic interludes, pre-recorded sketches, and costume characters to accompany their humorous hard rock performances. Their songs are largely about Satan, dragons, and other beasts, and explicit sexuality, all of which are normative for the heavy metal genre. What makes their music comedic, though, is the wealth of incongruities that are present within it. Their primary instruments are acoustic guitars, which are more at home in the hands of a sensitive singer-songwriter type than those of a rock god. Additionally, the band does not physically match up with the typical expectations of rock stardom. Jack Black and Kyle Gass are both middle-aged, or more by now, overweight, and usually underdressed in t-shirts and jeans. As much as we would like to think that, as a society, we have progressed past making judgments based on physical appearances, obviously we have not, and the D uses this to their advantage. Another part of their humor comes from their impressive musical talent juxtaposed against their seemingly silly lyrical content. I frequently take note of comments on how Jack Black actually has a great singing voice, or Kyle is really a great guitarist. This is because the expectation with comedic bands is often that they use humor as a crutch to supplement their musical shortcomings. This is obviously not the case here. Authenticity is the romantic notion that artists are presenting some kind of inner self-truth in their work, and this makes it intrinsically more worthy of our admiration and aesthetically valuable. However, defining authenticity is a somewhat dubious task, because it's a fallacy. It's not actually possible to know whether an artist is truly singing or writing music in an honest way, and therefore it's largely irrelevant to the end product. When artists are praised for this quality, they're actually only being praised for the appearance of it, since that's all we can ever know. Sometimes in critiques, the word authentic will be substituted with a synonym like genuine or real, but the point is the same. Some artists who are applauded for the perception of authenticity are Bruce Springsteen, N.W.A., and Amy Winehouse. I'd like to zoom out for a moment and discuss the history of popular music to better explain this phenomenon. Most historians peg the 1950s as the start of the modern era of popular music. It was the norm for artists in that generation to not write their own songs or even play instruments on their records. In other words, there wasn't much of a consideration for what we would now call authenticity. Then, in the 60s, there was a movement towards the singer-songwriter era, when artists started to take more control of the composition and recording process. Bob Dylan was one of the standout artists of this group. His songs had weight, substance, and were very lyrically poetic. His music had something important to say, and it was not mere pop. Many other artists from this era similarly were set apart from pop artists because of the perceived depth and emotionality of their compositions. The focus and appreciation on these specific traits is also tied to the idea of rockism, in which one elevates important rock music above frivolous pop. It's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain you're gonna fall. While this movement towards a more personal and important self-expression started in rock music, it's not exclusive to that genre. 
Within rap, there's a fairly interesting conflict in the desire for authenticity, often going under the guise of street cred and the celebration of larger-than-life personas. Keeping it real has long been a catchphrase of sorts in hip-hop, but this is particularly intriguing because of the ubiquity of humor in the rap genre. In more mainstream pop and rock, humor is often seen as the antithesis of authenticity. Part of this can be explained by the initial outsider status of rap music. Rap, as well as punk music, were countercultural movements whose generic elements were set up in explicit rejection of the norms of contemporary popular music. Their later integration into the mainstream has somewhat diluted their original oppositional attitude while also expanding the norms of pop itself. In the case of Tenacious D, their overtly comedic act makes it very apparent that they are putting on a show and not being their authentic selves. Of course, all pop stars are playing a part, some more obviously than others like David Bowie, quite literally a Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane, but this does not invalidate his artistic work, and he has been recognized with five albums on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list, and five Grammys with a total 19 nominations. So certainly, personas themselves do not seem to be the only factor in being seen as inauthentic, at least not with relatively unfunny music. With Tenacious D and other humorous artists, the term joke band tends to get thrown around. It seems to be the expression most used to denigrate a band who utilizes comedy prominently in their work, and it's obviously not a compliment. One definition of joke being a person or thing that is ridiculously inadequate. It implies that the accused are not a real band, they're imposters, pretending to be musicians for the devious purpose of making you laugh. Frontman Jack Black has always been very vocal about his stance that Tenacious D are not a joke band. In a Studio Q interview, he stated, I don't think of us as a comedy band. What do some people say? We're mock rock or a pretend fake band. I think of us more along the lines of a very great rock band that happens to be funny, like Van Halen, a fat Van Halen maybe. ACDC, very funny, but also incredibly hard rocking. The mere inclusion of humor does not make a band less real, and Jack points to some salient examples of institutionally approved rock bands that do just this. In the case of ACDC, lead guitarist Angus Young is known for his wild stage antics as much as his guitar solos. His flamboyant behavior on stage is not only tolerated, but is a signature part of the band's live show. Of course, you can also read Black's insistence of not being a joke as a part of the joke, an unwillingness to break from character. But who are we to say whether he means it authentically or not? There are other comedic bands who lean into their joke band identity. For example, The Lonely Island is often referred to themselves as frappers, aka fake rappers. By embracing what would be a critique of their group, they are able to avoid some of the negative baggage that can come along with being a comedy music act. Tenacious D, by denying this identity, are constantly playing defense. We looked at each other, didn't have to talk, knew exactly what we wanted before we took off. Mr. Alien, sir, for what it's worth, we want to be the greatest fake MCs on Earth. Your wish is granted, and thanks again. I may have saved my planet, but I'm losing three friends. What happened today was both incredible and bad. Robert Criscow is one of the most respected and influential rock music critics of all time. In a review for The Village Voice of Tenacious D's self-titled debut, he wrote, Of course Jack Black makes me laugh sometimes. He's got serious comic gifts, but the meanness of his joke band proves how much easier it is to act a role than inhabit a persona. Criscow pegs the group as a joke band, and on top of that says that their joke is mean. This could be a reference to ethical aestheticism, or the idea that good art should be morally positive. Check out the episode on Childish Gambino for more on that topic. It's also notable that Chris Gow mentions persona versus acting in his review. 
I'd be curious to know how he actually differentiates between the two. Is Persona just a more convincing act, and does this truly make a significant artistic difference? And while he doesn't specifically invoke the word authenticity, this review does hint at his own desire for an artist to appear real, as well as the difficulties for a comedic band to achieve this. Acknowledging the fact that all popular music artists have a persona and are putting on a show involves a type of mental gymnastics on the part of the audience, but it may be easier to accomplish this feat when the art is not comedic. The implication is that comedy is frivolous and has no value aside from provoking laughter, or that comedy is a crutch in music used by less talented artists. Hence why Bowie's characterizations are more critically acceptable. Comedy may also be seen as being mean. The superiority theory of humor states that all jokes are funny because we're laughing at something or someone. Additionally, comedic musicians flaunting their inauthenticity may be seen as a parodic critique of the system of authenticity itself, as well as an attack on the listeners who value that system. So it's understandable why someone like Chris Cow is sensitive to this perceived insult to his profession. At this point, I chose to highlight a tenacious D-song, Low Hanging Fruit, from Rise of the Phoenix, to mention a comment on its YouTube video noting how great Jack sings and how much they would like to hear him sing a serious song one day. Me and Cage are homie. We're looking for a snack. Looking for a plump one with a tasty crack. Who wants a low I mentioned that it's possible to view Tenacious D as a parody band. Their songs are not specifically one-to-one parodies of other metal songs, but they, as an entity, function as a parody of the metal genre. They accomplish this through highlighting the conventions of metal by deviating from them slightly. According to literary theorist Linda Hutchian, parody as a technique in art has been criticized for two main reasons. It threatens the romantic notion of individual artistic genius and the capitalistic notion of intellectual copyright. In addition, parody is often perceived as mocking and therefore unethical. Despite this, parody is a technique that's been used widely across the arts, from literature such as Don Quixote by Miguel Cervantes in 1615 to Andy Warhol's pop art from the 1960s. Music journalist Simon Reynolds explaining the nuances of parody for pitchfork readers wrote, It takes knowledge and skill to mimic the mannerisms of an individual artist or a genre, while simultaneously poking insubordinate fun at the renowned and respected. There's something intrinsically puerile, mocking your elders and betters, about parody, and to pull one off successfully requires a blend of craft and cruelty. It's not easy to make a good parody, because the end product needs to work on its own as a song or other object, while also lampooning the conventions of some original work. Even so, it's quite easy to dismiss parody for being puerile or cruel, as Reynolds mentions. It's also worth noting his use of the word betters, referring to the original artists. So by his definition, parodies and their creators are always worse than the originals by default. See the episode on Weird Al and parody for a further discussion of these aesthetic issues. As a related concept, there's often also a desire to believe an artist is channeling some magic or otherworldly inspiration in their work, and certainly many artists play up this idea. In an interview for Songwriters on Songwriting, Laura Nero claimed her songs are divined to her by the triple goddess, whatever that means. See also any Tom Waits interview where he'll undoubtedly ignore most of the questions about his work, instead trying to cultivate an aura of mystery. Same with Bob Dylan. Of course, even when art seems effortless, it is the result of an incredible amount of work and preparation. 
telling a concert pianist that they have great innate talent or a God-given gift is a disrespect to their countless hours of practice. In the case of comedic music, there was great thought and care put into the work to make a resulting product that is funny, among other things. But overt humor makes apparent the constructedness of art, especially with parody and other meta-art, which often goes out of its way to point this out. Parodies are art about art. Tenacious D specifically mocked this convention in a segment from their HBO show featuring the band engaging in a series of bizarre rituals to channel the mysterious phenomenon they call Inspirado, a trope that they examined further in their film The Pick of Destiny. The fact that they strategically position themselves in opposition to these norms of serious art makes it very difficult to find them anything but inauthentic. Cause it's a pain! A destiny child, you know it will be rocking cause it's fucking insane. It's just a pain! A destiny child, more precious than a diamond on a platinum chain. In Venice Beach there was a man named Kane. Although comedic art is often by default dismissed as being frivolous, we know that this does not have to be the case. One technique of humorous art is to use the joke as a type of Trojan horse to disguise a difficult message and cushion its impact. For example, Tenacious D's 2018 album Post-Apocalypto was conceived as a reaction to the 2016 presidential election. The album is a dystopian sci-fi epic and very silly at times, but at its core is a political satire. Other artists who have utilized political satire in their work include Frank Zappa, George Clinton, and Dead Kennedys. While laughter is one desired outcome from humor, it does not have to be the exclusive result. And even if it is, is that such a bad thing? It's also true that less funny art can be entirely frivolous, think soap operas, Thomas Kincaid paintings, or the music of Kenny G. So jumping to any conclusion based solely on the inclusion or exclusion of humor is unfair. Of course, authenticity is not the only metric for artistic success, and I'm certainly not trying to make the case that Tenacious D have not garnered any respect or credibility in the last nearly 30 years. Regarding industry approval, the band has been recognized for their work by the Grammys for their 2012 album Rise of the Phoenix. However, interestingly enough, the category they were nominated in was not rock or metal music, but best comedy album, where they lost to Louis C.K.'s Hilarious, a stand-up comedy record. Other musical artists who have been featured in this category include Weird Al Yankovic, Flight of the Concords, and Peter Shickley, aka PDQ Bach. This begs the question, what does it mean for an album of songs to be considered in the same category as an album of spoken word comedy? Are these albums even music, or are they something else? To further complicate the matter, Tenacious D actually won the Best Metal Performance Grammy in 2014 for their cover of Dio's The Last in Line on a posthumous tribute album. So they're a real band when they play other people's songs, but a joke band when playing their own material? It's important to acknowledge that the Grammy organization typically does not place artists or albums into these categories, but the artists or their labels submit them this way, selecting the categories that they think they have the best chance at winning. It's apt that Tenacious D won an award for honoring Ronnie James Dio since they are clear disciples of his music, including a song titled Dio on their debut album and later collaborating with him on the song Kickapoo. For Dio, theatricality was a large part of his art. He sang about riding tigers and pretended to slay dragons on stage in his shows. This type of camp humor was a signature part of his concerts and is not atypical in the metal genre. Apart from industry awards, the Dio had a long and successful career, selling millions of records and playing sold-out shows to their numerous fans. You know it always brings me down. Come 
in a way, we've gone full circle historically and are at a point where it's normal and accepted for pop songs to have multiple writers and many producers. It's also incredibly common for new songs to include interpolations of older ones by way of samples or the reuse of specific musical elements. So has this diminished the need or desire for authenticity? Strangely, I would argue no for most people. They still want to be able to believe that their favorite artist is being truthful, even if we know such a thing isn't strictly possible. We define ourselves through our musical and other cultural choices, and we feel compelled to defend the legitimacy of those choices when challenged. While it may be difficult to convince someone else that your favorite performer is better than theirs musically, you can perhaps tell a compelling story about the successful emotional resonance of their art. When Amy Winehouse sang They Tried to Make Me Go to Rehab, the public understood that as a bit of autobiography regarding her struggles with substance abuse and praised her for this honesty. She's brave, she's emotionally open. This is an easily recognizable, objective moment of truth, or as close to truth as we can get in music. I would argue that this alone does not make her or her music good, but her fans may appreciate the firm foothold of authenticity to stand on. Compared to other forms of art, music fans seem to be much more interested in this genuine characteristic. In no small part, this is due to the highly personal and emotional nature of singing. The human voice as a medium, rather than written words on a page or paint on a canvas, has an incredibly different effect on the audience psychologically. In conversation with Lou Reed, Elvis Costello asked, Don't you find that people identify songwriters too closely with the characters in their songs? Lou responded that this has been his experience as well, and especially for his songs with darker subject matter, his fans showing a preference for serious, sad, and seemingly confessional lyrics. Reed also goes on to note how much of Shakespeare's writing is incredibly depressing and violent, but we don't intend to associate that with the author's personality. And all those older guys, they said that he was mean and cruel, but you know, won't play football for the coach. I said I was a little too lightweight to play linebacker, so that I'm playing right in. Won't play for the coach. In the case of much funny music, it is apparent that the artists are not being authentic in the most traditional sense of the term, but rather playing characters. While this does not necessarily prevent someone from enjoying a funny song or band, it may cause them to temper their praise or reserve higher levels of aesthetic affirmation for non-comedic works in order to preserve their own self-conscious image. It's not unfair to say that all artists are presenting some version of themselves through their personae. This may be very much like their actual selves, or not, but from the audience's perspective, we may not be able to tell the difference. And, if an artist can convince listeners that they are being truthful, is that any different from them actually being truthful? And if it is, why is that a good thing? If Jack Black and Kyle Gass are able to someday persuade critics that they are not a joke band, would this actually make their music any better? And will Jack ever fulfill that commenter's dream and sing a serious song? This is not the greatest podcast in the world. This is just a tribute. The Seriously Funny Music Podcast was written and produced by Scott Greenberg and is an adaptation of his master's thesis, The Apparent Bias Against Comedic Popular Music. Follow Scott on all social media and streaming platforms at Scott Making Sense. That's sense like money. 